You all remember Windrush, right? That event that happened in 1948, the thing that finally brought greatness to Britain. We were but a muddy little island before, thankfully, the great diversity was brought into our country. I mean, we already had certain diverse elements of the community, such as in Liverpool, mm. uh, as we can see from events like the 1919 Liverpool race riots happening. If there weren't diverse races to create race riots, then I don't know what was going on there. But, but Harry, what would we do without jerk chicken? I don't know. I starve, I assume. The Victorians had absolutely no con cultural contributions The Victorians to didn't exist. They're a lie. They're a cultural lie made up by our ancestors, just like the fact that we were not Kangs. They do, on a serious note, talk about the Windrush generation like Britain's colonial settlers. Like, as in, it's a kind of founding mythology. It's, it's like Britain's well, this Mayflower. Is, this is the new creation myth of yeah. Britain, which is that Britain was just some backwater colony itself mm. before the Windrush got here. And even the story of the Windrush is something that has been, shall we say... Embellished? Just a tad. Just a tad embellished. But just to remind everybody of how wonderful Windrush is and the, all of the benefits that diversity has enriched us with over the past 70 or so years, the past 75 years, in fact, because it is 75 years since Windrush, the London Underground, that place where kings are made, where um, beauty is fostered, are currently, for their London Underground tubes, presenting a series of Windrush 75 poems on there. This is poetry from the 60s and beyond, talking about the Windrush generation, which is broadly described as the generation of of West, uh, West Indian, that being Jamaican, immigrants, uh, well, Jamaicans from that part of the world, the immigrants that came over from about 1948 through to the early 1970s. Supposedly, I mean, in some cases, yes, but supposedly they were all just coming over here because the government invited them over here so that they would be able to help to rebuild the country post-World War II. Um, and it's celebrating all of that. So we've got these being shown on the London Underground. I would have had a tweet showing this but uh, from poems on the Underground themselves, but they seem to have deleted it, oh. displaying this particular poem. And I don't know why, because surely they're proud of this. Surely this is something that they want to display. It wouldn't get a negative response because, hey, we have nothing but thanks to give to the people who well, came in as after mass migration. As you said, the, the London Underground, which I have to get twice a day, is such an enjoyable experience. Maybe they wanted people not to just read it on their phone like David Lynch does his movies yeah. maybe they wanted you to have the immersive experience real. Of, of boarding the Victoria line destined for Brixton and having oh. to read it through the crack smoke of you a vagrant it? sitting opposite you or with, with the ambient sound of the Asian young gentleman who doesn't know how headphones work oh. blasting his music out of TikTok mate I mean Brixton is just the centre of culture where the, you've got all the drill rappers in their little gangs stabbing oh, one another. That's Wood Green as well. Oh, Wood yeah, Green is... Of course. That's like Mad Max up there. But what would we do without this enrichment? Because if we didn't have all of that going on, we wouldn't have been able to accept the obviously beneficial trade-off of having a slightly wider uh, level of cuisine to choose from on I a day-to-day -day basis. never eat a kebab again and have the crime rates go I've down. I've never eaten a kebab. They look disgusting. What? I don't You're want... from the north and you've never had a kebab? I oh. just go chips, cheese and gravy. Simple as. Oh. Kebab's foreign, mate.
It's, it's just chunks it's of foreign. lamb. Like we can we can make it. I guess, I lamb think it, produced by foreigners. Yeah. Well, was it was it Rowan Atkinson that said? Uh, but we do have cookbooks, so we it may was not the need... recipe. Yes, we yeah. do have the recipe. So that 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 would be a useful. He was doing it as a joke, but unironically, that is the truth. Uh, but this let's let's read through some of this poem because there is a variety of poems that display the uh, true mastery of the Anglo language, um, including this one, "The London Breed" by Benjamin Zephania, which Zephania. He's Zephania. Oh, he's right. on English curriculums pretty much across country. Yes, quite a few of these are from what you've told me, which we'll get onto in a moment. So uh, this one goes, I love this great polluted place where pop stars come to live their dreams. Here ravers come for drum and bass and politicians plan their schemes. The world of the music is here. This city can play any song. They came to hear from everywhere. Tis they that made this city strong. Pretty sure London was doing mighty fine before the 1960s mass uh, immigration, but okay. Let's... As the centre of the world's largest global empire. <laughs> yes, uh, a world of food displayed on streets. There we go, there we go. But what about the food? How would we survive without jerk chicken? Blah, blah, blah. Where all the world can, uh, can come and dine. I don't want the world to come and dine. I want it to be an English place. On meals that end with bittersweets and cultures melt and intertwine. 200 languages give voice to 15,000 changing years and all religions can rejoice with exiled souls and pioneers. Once again, this is, like so many of these, as we'll come to understand, this is a poem of colonisation mm. celebrating the fact that England is no longer English, or at least certainly London is no longer English because a lot of these people come to stay in London, um, and that they're so happy they've displaced the native population and turned London into a place where all religions can rejoice. We've got changing years, 15,000. Yes, the place has changed over the course of 15,000 years where it hasn't, but London was a hell of a lot more homogenous for about 1,000 years prior to the 1960s. Go if, on. I, if I might make the point, those last two, the, the rhyming couplet that finishes it, and all religions can rejoice with exiled souls and, and pioneers. Back to the point I made about the Mayflower, it really does sound like he's depicting it as the Puritans that were persecuted by yeah. James I of England and have come over to settle on an otherwise savage and abundant but uncivilised place. And so they're depicting the Windrush generation and, again, all religions, so what the the large amounts of Muslim enclaves that have since set up since 1997. Exiled souls and pioneers yeah, all one. As some kind of innovator... Um, class that have come over and, and terraformed the country purely for the better? I mean, certainly there's been innovations in uh, crime statistics yeah. since then. But anyway, so we've got this as well. James Berry with Sea Song 1. Come on, sea wash of travel. Expose new layers of skin. Come on, calm voice of sea. Come and saddle on land. Sea tumbles wash. Change our rags for riches. Come on, tumble wash of sea. Clear away the bloody waters. Clear away the bloody waters. The, just That's just... A, I'm, that's a very poorly constructed poem. Yeah, that's a terrible poem. Uh, but one that you can enjoy on the London Wait, Underground. clear away the bloody waters. So this wave of colonial occupation is a form of ablution, the washing away of sins of the past. So I this is necessary. I love the publisher as well, by the way. Blood Axe Books. Interesting. Windrush songs. Carry on. Well, this this entire wave of migration is necessary to correct for Britain's original sin of colonising other places, so it's revenge. I'm so sorry you brought so much sanitation and culture to different countries that didn't exist. Sorry we didn't get around to the toilets in India, yeah. Yeah, well, we're still working on that. Uh, Birder by Grace Nichols. Marvel again at the market stalls singing the Earth's Abundance. They're all basically the same thing. Look at how amazing London is now that foreigners live there and it's not just a load of English people. Windrush Child, which is about... John Agard again on the GCSE curriculum. He wrote a poem called 
um, checking out me history and the entire thing. And I read this on a video I did with both. Did they have on any the before website. we showed up? Yeah. So he he talks about uh, Toussaint Louverture, the guy that led the Haitian Revolution. All right. Uh, Mary Seacole, who he said that he was she was basically the Black Florence Nightingale tending to wounded soldiers when she wasn't. She actually ran a for profit hotel for officers. I that mean, sold fair them. play to for, uh, fair play to her for doing so, but that doesn't mean that she's worthy of any great accolades. She's no, just but, a notable like tidbit of history. But in in the Secondary, not secondary, primary school history curriculum, we were taught her alongside Florence Nightingale as some kind of self-sacrificial nurse when actually she was just making money selling the officers cigars. And he David then goes- Starkey has made this point numerous times. Yeah, exactly. And then in the video that I go over with Bo, he finishes with, they've blinded me to my history. Now I'm checking out my own identity. So he's deliberately accusing British culture and the <sighs> education system of making him ignorant to his own history when you could have picked up a book at any time. Sorry, it's not what a white conspiracy. Is we have reorientated the entirety of English schooling to point to everything that isn't English, as we'll get onto in a moment. Uh, and then these people still have the gall to complain that we're the ones trying to hide their true history from them. Presumably, once again, I hate to bring this up, but it is such a meme response whenever these people do it. Presumably because we suggest that the Egyptians might have at one point been ruled by Macedonians and not um, sub-Saharan Africans. Yeah, but also just to square that point on John Agard, if you were checking out your history, uh, you would have read Mary Seacole's autobiography where she says she wasn't Florence Nightingale. So <laughs> no, you've just bought the typical uh, black supremacist line, I'm afraid. And the interesting thing is about this one as well. This was uh, for Vince Reed, who was uh, 13, the youngest passenger on the Empire Windrush. Now, later on, we'll actually hear some personal testimony from Vince Reed about what it was like, uh, but save that for a few minutes from now. So the next one, the only thing far away, this is the entire selection. Um, this is by a man called Kai Miller. This one's from 2007. Once again, it smells like Mumbai, like Castries, like Princess Street, Jamaica. It smells like everywhere except for England. Uh, Besides Spain is Pakistan, then Egypt, Singapore, the world, which is not what I wanted to think about when I'm talking about the capital city of England, but that's yeah. just how it goes. And here is the most egregious one and also the oldest poem. And I think another one that you've pointed out is on the curriculum at the moment. This says it all really, doesn't it? So if you're a native Brit in London traveling on the tube, you get to read this little ditty, Colonization in Reverse, which the name says it all. What a joyful news, Miss Matty. I feel like me heart gwinburs. Jamaica people colonize in England in reverse. By de hundred, by de thousand, from country and from town. By de shipload, by de plane load, Jamaica, England bound. Demma, pour out Jamaica. Everybody, future plan is fee getter big time. If you're if you're just listening to this, I'm not just putting on this mode of speech to sound racist. This it, is how it's written. It is actually written like BBC Pigeon, yeah. Yes, is forget a big time job and settle in the motherland. What an island, what a people, man and woman, old, a, old and young, juice a pig, dem bag and baggage, and turn history upside dung. Okay, so there is one redeeming feature to this, I mm. will say, which is that they refer to England as the motherland, which mm. given the time period that this was written in 1966, a lot of these people were coming over from the empire years, from the Commonwealth, and did still recognize England as being a motherland, that being a land of plenty where they could go, make opportunities for themselves, and see it as something that is overall a positive place, somewhere aspirational that they can go to. However, it does seem to have been flipped a little bit that now these people's stories are seen as horror stories and examples of how awful England was and always has been. Yeah. But the rest of the poem is not forgivable. No. So, so one, it is that 
the Windrush generation succeeded only in spite of England, its culture, its racism, its, its systemic oppression and the like. The interesting thing they do here, though, is the final line, and turn history upside, and they spell down as dung, so they try to do it phonetically. I just like the irony that it implies in colonising England in reverse, you're flipping it over into excrement. Yeah, this is this is true. I mean, if, I mean it's true both metaphorically and literally in some cases. But as you point out in your article, which is a uh, almost a year old now, I actually, know. from uh, 30th of June, 2022. This is a premium article. I think the first one that you wrote for us. Uh, no, I've done, I did oh, quite a few before that, but this does have an audio track as well, read, read by John Crow. Yes, this is just as relevant as ever where you're talking about the academic assault on English literature because all of this is included now in the English um, in the English curriculum yep. and has replaced a lot of the stuff that I was reading when I was doing my English GCSEs. People like Wilfred Owen mm. and what were some of the other examples uh, you gave? John Keats, they're in this article here, actually. Um, there's, they've oh, removed well, there we go. most Philip of Philip Larkin, Thomas Hardy, William Blake, Wil Wilfred Owen, John Keats, all removed from the poetry exam yep. anthology. And instead, they've replaced it with a deaf Ukrainian man just to celebrate current year of issues. Some guy happy that um, his fantasy that America is being bombed off the face of the map and a bunch of black women. They just said, we're, we're really glad to feature more poets by, by black women, including the one that you just read. And one of the ones that was in the GCC Un Unseen Poetry before, that I don't know if it's been removed off the top of my head, but it was Daljit Nagra's Look We Have Coming to Dover. And it was a satire of um, Matthew Arnold's Dover, Dover Beach. And it was about illegal immigrants stowing themselves on the Dover ferry and arriving in England after Tony Blair had liberalised immigration and then packing themselves into the back of a van to be smuggled into the slave wage economy, building enough, enough, up enough wealth to then buy BMWs and lord it over the English that they're taking their jobs. It's a it's a bragging poem about illegal migration, and that you had to study as a GCSE English student. And all of these people still feel the gall to be able to say that we've stolen their history from them, yep. whereas our history is being subverted in front of our very eyes, and then we get this nonsense propagandizing our children before they know any better, and propagandizing just casually when you're on the tube, when you're trying to travel from one part of London to another, you get this sort of stuff thrown up in your face. And there's lots and lots of this propaganda that always comes out whenever it's the time to uh, eulogize Windrush. And we get these sorts of things going on because it is the 75th anniversary. We've got a 50p coin to mark with a Windrush 75th anniversary. Look at that. So this is the kind of... Once again, back when Windrush came over, I will say it was a different class. Mm of migrants that we were getting, because one, it was in much smaller numbers, and two, these were people who recognised that England was somewhere aspirational and not somewhere that they automatically thought of as purely evil. It has flipped since their descendants have decided to turn around and say that this is an evil country and they were treated horribly. But when they were at least coming over, they had a more positive idea of what the country was, as we'll see from some of the first-hand uh, uh, recounting of they, what Windrush was like. They did. I think the issue is, though, the heuristic for why England was positive was more of an economic calculation. So I'll come over yes. here, make a life for myself and get a job. And despite a lot of the myth-making about mass migration being that they're attracted to this country because they truly love this country, sometimes even more that than was the not native the population. No, what 
actually is a, is a failing to be calculated is how English culture uniquely has led to prosperity and peace. And the erasure of that culture has led to not only wage depreciation by the number of people, but a lack of productivity, a lack of valuing for high trust society. A change of the culture even within the native Brits. I mean, there is the phenomenon in London boroughs of uh, native English children starting to speak and behave more like these um, descendants of the migrants who they have begun to see as aspirational. Think of all of the London children who probably decide that they want to be like Stormzy. Yes. I do not want my children to be like Stormzy, but the, the, sorry to say. The erasure of that unique culture is actually going to erase the prosperity that people came over as part of the Windows generation to benefit from. And so treating a country like a pure economic extraction zone will destabilize the culture which undergirds that prosperity in the first place. So as much as the Windrush generation appreciated Britain, it was mainly for what it could provide to them, and now that has created a sense of entitlement in its successive generations who see themselves as comparably oppressed. This is all true, but I do want to acknowledge that they at least were coming over with a much more positive image well, of they the country they than their they descendants have adopted. They and weren't the envisioning deliberately recolonizing it yeah no even if that's what it's ended up being in the long run and uh, speaking of the fact that we're being told every day that our country was nothing before these people arrived ignore everything that we achieved ignore the fact that we colonized a quarter of the landmass of earth in the 19th century and prevented bride burning and slavery and prevented a lot of things You're welcome that, uh, that their ancestors were doing to each other uh, we get articles like this from the bbc once again this is public funding this is where your tax money is going windrush day we have put the great in britain coming to uh, from different islands we have done a lot to this uh, in this country i say we have put the great in britain said joan harry who came to the uk in 1960 aged 19. Now, the fun thing about this article is I skimmed through the whole thing. Um, nowhere in it is there a single example of given, uh, of anything done uh, where these populations actually improved the country. They don't, even, right. they don't even use the typical example of, well, we brought all of this fine cuisine over here. Instead, it just gives a few people saying, we made this country great. And then the second half of this article, if I scroll down here, is uh, them just complaining that um, actually, after we got here, everything was racist, everything was horrible. The anniversary of Mr. Samuels coming over is tainted by his experience of racism. Okay, there you go. So no examples given of how they improved the country. In fact, they say they have the gall to complain that they were uh, persecuted by this country. I, I, I will say, of course, if there was individual instances of racial discrimination, they shouldn't have done that. However, number one, that does not indict the entire civilization. No, and of two, course not. By virtue of just having more people with darker skin colours, it does not make the country necessarily better. I care about social texture. I care about the lack of a, a, an economic ceiling currently hanging over my head that stops me from having a house and making it harder to have children and, and relationships. There, there and are all many of those things problems. have been exacerbated by mass migration. So I'm sorry, my ears are kind of deaf to your historical grievance mongering when things have only gotten worse since the mass migration that this article is premising is, is good has been, has been inflicted on us. Yeah, And ever since 2018 as well, we've been beset by constant articles talking about the Windrush scandals, which was a scandal wherein the people who came over between that time period I listed earlier um, were given right to leave, uh, they were given uh, right to work within the UK, but no official documentation proving as much so I think in the early 2010s the Tories deported a few of them because of the fact that they didn't have any documentation uh, this was something that the Tory government has been overly uh, um, 
overly apologetic about. They have given a compensation scheme. They've done all sorts, but this will be hanging over our heads like the sword of Damocles. This will be the um, uh, what, what, what's what's that saying? The thing on our shoulder. Oh, I don't know. Oh, uh, well, uh, this this will be hanging over English people for the next 30 years, if the media have any say in it, because they want us to be reminded every single day, your country is evil, feel bad, white man, your country kicked out innocent uh, people who didn't do nothing uh, for no reason. And obviously, I'm not saying that it's a good thing that this Windrush scandal happened in the first place, but I'm saying that the way that it will be wielded and has been wielded thus far is that there will never be anything done that will be good enough to make peace with it aside from the complete wholesale handing over of our country to foreign populations. It's original sin without the capacity for redemption. That's absolutely correct. And we get articles like this as well. Uh, lots of them coming from the BBC. Surprise, surprise. Windrush, I didn't know what racism was until I came here. And yet you decided to stay here. Very strange, very interesting how that happens. Windrush, hundreds with chronic and mental illness sent back to the Caribbean. Now, this was something that happened in the early 1970s, supposedly. So this is uh, something that's just been recently unearthed. When I say that the Windrush scandal will be held over our heads like the Sword of Damocles, they will also... Albatross. Albatross on our shoulder. Ah, that's, that's it. Sorry, I just jumped into it's my head. It's from of the Ancient Mariner. You're yes, right. that's correct. It will be the Albatross on our shoulder for the rest of uh, time immemorium. And not only that, they will continue to unearth more and more scandals to build a case... I would suggest for English reparations for its black population in its entirety. They will pile it on top of other things like colonial legacy, history of racism, history of slavery. They will ignore all of the good things that we did, like the colonialism bringing civilization, bringing sanitation, improving literacy rates, improving life expectancy, and you know stopping the global slave trade. They'll ignore all of that sort of stuff, purely so they can build this false case for reparations. And this article is quite incredible because it says hundreds of sick, uh, long-term sick and mentally ill people from the Windrush generation were sent back to the Caribbean in what's been described as an historic injustice the BBC has found. Formerly classified documents reveal at least 411 people were sent back between the 1950s and the 1970s under a scheme that was meant to be voluntary. Now, the complaint here is that they are saying that the people who were sent back, yeah, they may have signed the paperwork, they may have signed off on all of this, but we're not entirely sure that they had the proper mental capacity to be able to do so. Therefore, England is evil, always has been evil, and is racist and completely unforgivable. Now, I don't want to sound callous, but I'm sorry... In the time period following the Second World War and the post-World War II experience in England, we had a lot to worry about. We had the NHS that had only just been set up and was something that was completely unique for the time uh, and had a lot of kinks to be worked out in it. We still had rationing uh, partway through the 1950s, if I remember correctly. We had a lot of problems going on in the country uh, to the point where I would suggest that we had no real obligation to have to look after these sick and unhealthy people who could have gone back to their country of origin and potentially been looked after there, especially when those countries were still part of the Commonwealth and had better infrastructure than they do now. But also, even not just a, a resource point, okay, it doesn't necessarily follow that this is racism because you cannot substantively prove that these people were sent back to, or repatriated for, for medical reasons. Um, they, were, they were repatriated just because of an animosity to their skin colour. You're just taking that as a given because the people involved are black and the flashpoint is the Windross generation. And so some people got sent back. Yes, again, that does not collectively indict Britain as a racist nation for all of its history. 
That, that just doesn't follow. Sorry, it's a, it's a total non sequitur. Yeah, it's a complete uh, Hail Mary of an argument, but sadly our elites are such that yeah, it, it might carries water, work. Yeah. Yes, and uh, interestingly, there's an immigration lawyer here who's uh, Jacqueline McKenzie of Lee Day, represents hundreds of victims of the 2018 Windrush scandal about the repatriation of sick and mentally ill, because she's been brought into this as well. She said it's absolutely shocking that this was happening. Lives have been destroyed. The state now owes it to the descendants of people to provide them with answers and some sort of redress. So once again, and this will be building on a uh, reparations argument. I even found an article recently from the Times where it's talking to Lenny Henry, the famous black British comedian and actor, where he was talking about all of this. And he said, you know, I never used to be political, but then I had to become political in mo more recent years. And he brings up reparations as well. He says that he went to Jamaica and saw the graves of people from the empire years and uh, sort of giggled to himself and said, I don't think this reparations thing is going to go away anytime soon. And sadly... I might agree with him because if the Tories have shown anything, it's that they are absolutely tripping up over themselves to show everybody how non-racist they are, even if the arguments used to declare that England is a racist country hold no water well, he, whatsoever. He also stands to benefit from reparations despite being very wealthy and having lots of premier in advert money. And also, even if the Conservatives decide to continue progressivism driving the speed limit, the inevitably incumbent Labour government will, under David Lammy, absolutely do this absolutely they will and also just to point out as well um we mentioned near the beginning of this that windrush has been seen as a new creation myth myth for england uh, and it's painted as this thing where the uk government invited over a load of people from the west indies to come in and fill in employment gaps in the uk labor forces to help rebuild Britain. And that's the only reason these people came over is because they were loyal subjects of the empire who wanted to rebuild Britain. And that's for the um, Empire Windrush, the initial ship from 1948 that came over this. I know that in the 1950s, there were schemes to bring over foreign workers, but they also apply that same logic to the Windrush generation, starting with Windrush itself. Let's check this out. Let's check this out. And we can even just go on the, uh, the Wikipedia entry to see how true this is. Now, Tell me if this lines up with the story that you already told, or always told, about the Windrush. The 1948 Empire Windrush, which was en route from Australia to Britain via the Atlantic, docked in Kingston, Jamaica to pick up servicemen who were on leave, the British Nationality Act 1948, giving the citizenship, status of citizenship to the United Kingdom and colonies, C-U-K-C status, to all British subjects connected with the United Kingdom or a British colony, was going through Parliament, and some Caribbean migrants decided to embark ahead of the game. Prior to 1962, the UK had no immigration control for C-U-K-Cs who could settle indefinitely in the UK without restrictions. The ship was far from full, and so an opportunistic advertisement was placed in a Jamaican newspaper, the Daily Gleaner, offering cheap transport on the ship for anybody who wanted to travel to the UK. Many former servicemen took this opportunity to return to Britain with the hopes of finding better employment, including in some cases rejoining the RAF. Others decided to make the journey just to see what the mother country was like. One passenger later recalled that demand for tickets far exceeded the supply and there was a long queue to obtain one. Does this sound as though the government had invited these people over out of the kindness of their hearts? 
or did they opportunistically jump onto the ship with the hope of getting a better job? I understand from an economic perspective why these people would want to do this, but it's not exactly like they came here out of the kindness of their hearts. Well, they also weren't invited by the government. That's just not true. The legislation had not yet passed that would yep. have allowed them to become permanent UK citizens. And on that, let's look at some testimony from some actual Windrush arrivals as well from this old BBC article, which we'll end on. Uh, so we've got a few ones here that are particularly relevant, including the testimony of Arthur Carling, who states here, as a matter of fact, I had a reasonably good job in Jamaica and things were looking up. It's just a matter of the island is too small. You don't realise how small until you, you're, uh, you've travelled. So no mention in his testimony here of wanting to come over to help rebuild the country. It's just the country of Jamaica was too small. I wanted to go somewhere with more prospects. And then, of course, during the second half, he points out that there was racism that he experienced. But let's be fair to him here. He said it's up to the individual how you counteract it. Fact is, if a man says you're black so-and-so, you can't say you're white so-and-so. So he basically gives a stiff upper lip explanation yeah. for how he dealt with it. Fair play to you, Mr. Arthur. And I'm not doing any of this to belittle any of these people. I'm just pointing out that none of these stories line up with the facts that most people, well, facts that most people are often told. We've got Clinton Edwards, who states here, I first came to England during the war in the RAF. When I went back home, there was no work, so I decided to come back. There was a boat coming back by the name of Windrush, and it was only £28, so I paid my fare and came back. I was in the war for three years, came back in 1948 on the Windrush, so as the opportunity for jobs in this country was better than back home in Jamaica. Once again, this wasn't invitation by the government. We've got Mr. Oswald Columbus Denniston here. That's a hell of a name. That's a great name, if you ask me, to be honest. He said that word went round that this boat was taking passengers for a cheap fare of £28, 10 shillings, to go to Britain. It's common knowledge that there was work in Britain just after the war. The war ended three years earlier, so there was a lot of scope. It took me a week to wind things up to travel. And then finally, let's take a look at the word of Vince Reed himself, which one of these poems that we looked at earlier, I think the John Agard one, is based off, and he just says, my parents brought me on the Windrush, I had no choice in the matter, they didn't have to, it was obvious they came in search of a better life and better opportunities. So they're not interwoven in the grand narrative of redressing the horrors of colonialism by recolonizing England in reverse. It's just not true. It's just not true, so educate yourself on what actually happened in Windrush, and try to inoculate yourself against the arguments that will be used, because as with everything these days, these the Windrush happening in the very first place is just going to be used as a beating stick to beat over the head of native Britons and English people that you are evil, your entire history of evil is, is evil, the creation of this country is shrouded in evil because despite the fact at the same time the argument goes that the UK government invited these people over, they also apparently invited them over purely so that English people could be racist to them. So recognise the inherent contradiction there and arm yourself accordingly. If you appreciated that segment from the podcast of the Lotus Eaters, you can go to lotuseaters.com to get access to all the premium content that's on the site, such as the Symposium series, this episode on personal autonomy. If you'd like to find out what else is being put out, you can follow it on Getter at lotuseaters underscore com on Getter. Thank you and goodbye.